So, every year, as for as long as I can remember, Easter's been a pretty exciting day. I mean, it doesn't get much better than waking up to a basket full of candy next to my head. Right? And even at times, my mom would um, hide it and say, there's chocolate hidden around the house, there's sugar hidden around the house, go find it. And I didn't have any problems finding it. Well, there's, uh, there's one in particular. Um, we, we actually went to the store to buy something this morning, and um, they were out, so we had to get the next best thing. Um, this is supposed to represent a peep. Um, they were all out of peeps this morning. How many of you like peeps? Six people. Awesome. All right. Um, so, how many of those who raised your hand had one for breakfast? Okay. Um, so, I did some research about peeps. Because, I mean, there's no Easter without a peep, right? Okay, so, did you know in 1953, around the time when uh, the old peep was invented by Miss Rhoda, Rhoda Peep, that's her name, um, that it took 27 hours to make one. Some of you are like, yes, glorious. Okay, well, it's, the good news is, is they've since kind of mastered the process, Okay, and um, what's crazy is that every year, 700 million are consumed by Americans. And we wonder why they were gone at Walgreens this morning. So, I'm not going to eat this. Maybe you will. No? Maybe you will. <laughs> um, so, it's, it's always been this joyful time to celebrate. It's why we dress up. It's why we do fun things with our kids, right? Because it's Easter. Yesterday, my neighbors decided to have their family over um, and didn't tell me about it, right? And so we had beat them to getting outside, and we'd set up the bounce house that we have, and our kids were playing, all four of us, and we're out there. And before I know it, there's 12 of us consuming my yard, consuming my garage, consuming every area of my house. Uh, essentially, and Danielle's gone at a photo shoot. So it was just me with like 12 kids jumping on the bounce house. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Like, because the, f- the family came over to celebrate Easter. This morning, I want to look at this idea of celebrating. If, you, if you're at Luke 24, I want to I talk about it. Because for us, for as Christians, it goes deeper than a peep, Right? That's held up high, right? But hopefully that's a good, good answer. It does. It goes, it goes a whole lot deeper. But, but at the same time, um, Easter for some is, well, while it's celebration for some, for some it's very dark and hard. For some really good friends of mine, every Easter they remembered their son's death. It's difficult. So, so how do you weigh in? It's like, it's celebratory, but at the same time, there's the brokenness of life and the brokenness of sin that collides with the joy of, like, candy and the joy of a risen Christ. That, that's what happens in Luke 24. Look at it. Luke 24, verse 1. But the first day of the week 
But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Okay, so they go to a tomb. Like, is that an exciting time? Is that a celebratory, joyful time? Hardly. Hardly. Because death is a tough pill to swallow, right? No matter who you are, no matter how long you've lived, death is really hard to grasp and understand and swallow, especially when it's someone that's close to you. And so here you have in this text, you have followers of Jesus, these women that followed him closely and loved him, that they just wanted to be near him. Why? Because they love death? No. Because they love Jesus. He was their master. He was their friend. And he had died. And so they go to the tomb. And I think that we can identify with kind of the experience that they have in this moment because it's very similar to kind of how we tend to live and how we tend to move and how we tend to breathe. Um, so my kids uh, last summer found some turtles and uh, they decided to, we decided to make a box for them. We built this wooden box out of plywood and my kids loved them, right? They, um, We'd take them out of the box, we'd set them on a line on the driveway, like, all right, we're going to race them. We're going to race the turtles, all right? So we'd take the turtles, we'd, we'd put them down, and each kid would grab one, and we'd say, on your mark, get set, go. I mean, they took off down the driveway. Um, actually, half the time, they wouldn't move, and half the time, want to go that way, and want to go this way, and want to go that way, but well, my kids loved them. Well, it started getting cold, and so we decided we better move um, their home to a better location, to one where they could actually not be confined by wood, but actually be able to dig deep and take their cold-blooded bodies into the dirt where they could be safe. Okay, so we moved them in the backyard, and we kind of churned up the dirt, and, and there, they, there they were. And um, so they kind of started digging themselves deep and deep, and um, unfortunately... Um, they didn't get deep enough. In fact, uh, three of them hardly made it below the surface. One of them absolutely completely buried himself. Well, about a month ago or so, uh, the kids and I are like, let's, hey, let's check on the turtles. I'm like, yeah, it's been like negative 16 degrees for two months. This is going to go well. Um, first lesson in death, right? Um, and so we go out there and it, like, we, we dig, dig them up and, you know, they're, it's bad. They're fro like frozen, like eyes or like necks. All like okay, I'll stop. But like so, so we grabbed three of them. I'm like, guys, you know what? Um, you know these guys didn't make it, um, but there's still one more, and it's dug dug deep. And so we waited a few weeks, and we're like, this surely this one, like it was a smaller one. Surely he he'll be okay, right? So we actually dug him up, which probably wasn't a good thing, but he didn't make it either. Um, so, so we did what every good, loving person does. We prepared a proper burial for them via allied waste. Um, so, um, we jumped them in the trash can. So my kids that day had a lesson in death. Have you ever had tunnel vision? You know what tunnel vision is? It's a lack of peripheral vision, where all you see, and it's actually a diagnosed reality, where all you see is here. Okay, we, we see this uh, most often in, in youth, right? 
right? I mean, like when a kid flies out the front door and wants to fly across the street. They don't, they don't have any perspective, right? You take a two-year-old that's just like, I'm going to play. I mean, they, don't, they don't have any perspective. It's just like my world, okay? Or like this massive meltdown over like some jelly beans. And one kid took the other kid's jelly beans. And it is the end of the world. You laugh. You just wait till this afternoon. Okay? And, and as parents, what do we do? Sometimes we live in that moment. Like we try to, you know. But as, as sane parents, we back up more like, guys, in 20 years, this moment... They, they don't have perspective. And even you and I, we, we can get in this place of seeing the small, seeing here, seeing in a tunnel, and resorting to panic attacks, resorting to fear, and not seeing the holistic picture of what's happening. As people who know the story, as people who know God's hope for us, that's bigger than those little moments. But more than that, God even can enter into those moments. Because in our grief, we can miss. So uh, this is what happens here. Let's keep going to the text. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when, but, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man may be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Okay, picture this. Here these women are. They come to the grave. The stone is rolled away. Okay? And they... They begin to enter it and they begin to panic because the body of Jesus is gone. Okay? And in this moment, they have an encounter. They have an encounter with two angelic beings who look them in the eye and say, You know what? Why? I don't believe this is just a message for these people here. I believe this is a message for every single person in the sound of my voice and every single Christian and non-Christian alike in the world. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And some of you are like, it's kind of, kind of strange. What does that have to do with us? Every single one of us, here's what we do. We look for life in things that bring death. And we wonder why we don't experience what we want to experience, right? I mean, we pursue relationships as, like, this is going to be it. We pursue a parenting style, like, this is going to actually get them to do what I need them to do. No, it's not. We pursue money. Just, just a little bit more, just a little bit more material possessions. Maybe this will do it. And you know what? It doesn't. And it won't. 
And that, that's the message that the angels are telling to these women. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And this is the hope of Easter. He's risen. Okay, he's not here, but here's the crazy thing. He had been telling them all along, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Like, do you, you ever have those moments of despair where you're just living in the grief of the grave? And what you need is someone to speak into your ear. The hope of Christ. The message of a risen Savior that's bigger than those moments, that's bigger than the despair, because we often are people that can live in the grief of the grave. We can live in the despairing moments and in fear and be stuck in the tunnel vision, failing to grasp the hope. Because look at what happens. Look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. You see that? They remembered. They remembered the reality, okay? This is the exact same thing Rick said at the very beginning. Okay, Easter. We celebrate it. We make a big deal about it. We, it's like maybe the, the one time that you actually get excited about church. It's like it's Easter. Jesus is alive. But why, why is it? that that's only the case for us on Easter. Listen, if we as a church celebrate the cross of Christ Sunday in and Sunday out, but fail to celebrate it from a risen Christ who didn't just get up on the cross and pour out his blood and die for us, but he conquered it. And he went in the tomb and he conquered death. You're like... Let me stop for a second. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, Easter, like risen Jesus. Like, who cares? Why, like, why does this matter? Like, why is this so crucial and so important? Listen, let me answer that for you. Everything that Jesus has ever said or did, all the promises of God, without a risen Christ, fall flat on their face. The promise of joy, the promise of hope in your life, the promise I will never leave you nor forsake you. Does anyone want to follow a God who can be destroyed the same way that you and I can be destroyed and will be destroyed by death? These bodies just are going to deteriorate. You want to follow that guy? No. No. That's why this day is crucial. So let me ask this question. Maybe your heart is to go to church on Easter or on a holiday. I want to ask you why. Maybe some of you, that's kind of like, okay, it's a holiday. We probably should put some decent clothes on and go to church. Why? Let me ask this question. What do you hope to gain in being here? Is it some level of God's approval? Is it that you feel better about yourself? Because listen, what we're doing here is not to gain God's approval. 
What we're doing here is we're resting under the weight of a God who said, through my son, you have my approval. Through his blood, through the cross, you have my approval. And now we're sitting under the weight of that acceptance and we're celebrating that we're his. Amen? And so we don't come here just hoping that God would be happy with us just because this is a place that we can feel a little bit better about ourselves. Listen, this is a place where we know we're broken and we know we're sinful people, but we know that God is bigger and God has conquered sin and death and that he has not yet fully taken us out of the pain and sorrow and suffering. But you know what? We talk and tend to talk a lot about heaven. We tend to talk about one day, one day. And that's that perspective, that's that eternal, let's back up and let's see that as God's people, we can live in the hope of the resurrection every single moment of every single day because we know that God's with us in these moments, but we also know that there will come a day when he's going to get us out of here. And he's going to take us home. And he's going to take us out of the mess of these lives that we're in. Look down at verse 8 again. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to the rest, to all the rest. Now it was Mary, Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Okay, now, now picture this for a second. It says these words seem to them an idle tale. So here in this moment, these angelic beings speak to these women. These women go and then they tell the disciples and the disciples are like, no, I'm not buying it. You know what idle tale translates as? Pure nonsense. It's ridiculous. Absolutely pure nonsense. That means nothing for my life. Maybe, maybe you're wrestling with that. Maybe you're wrestling this morning with the idea that the cross and what we're doing here as the people of God, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Pure nonsense. But here's the crazy thing. I can't stand here and convince you otherwise. Can I? Nor am I going to try to convince you otherwise that it's not pure nonsense. But you know what God is and will do? Look at verse 12. Because even one of the very closest followers of Jesus, the reason why we're here today, Peter, he wasn't sure. What did he do? He rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home, marveling, marveling at what had just happened. How incredible is that? You can't convince someone that this is real. 
God wants to journey you to experience him. Can any of you look back at your stories? Can any of you look back at your salvation experience? Can any of you look back at your growth in Jesus Christ and see the proper steps you took to grab a hold of your own heart, to position your own heart, to the affectionate love for Jesus Christ? Wow, look at me. Some of you are working it. You're like, well, maybe. No, you're like, gosh, God absolutely undid me an event that I had no clue was going to happen, and I never could have predicted or planned or even wanted. It's like Peter. It was marvel. Like, this is unreal. Of course, this is not an idle tale. Of course, the resurrection of the Son of God is not some nonsense. It's what he said would happen. Can I tell you this morning, church, that the things that God says are the things that are true and the things that will happen. We sit under the weight of that this morning, but we sit under the hope of that. Because you know what 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says? If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. That's weighty, right? But, but as the church, we celebrate Christ is risen. And so some of you, maybe right now you're sitting here and you're under the weight of your sin. You're under the weight of your own shame. You're under the weight of your own condemnation or the condemnation of others. And I want to tell you this morning that Christ can and will and wants to and has set you free from that. Now, maybe you're not walking in that. Maybe that's not an everyday reality. But it can be. And through a resurrected Christ, it is. And many of us, Maybe we're resting in this futile faith. Because that's what it says. If Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. So what does that mean? If the resurrected Lord isn't an everyday reality for us, then the faith that we're walking in is futile. You're like, wait a second. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. We walk in the power of Christ. The risen power of Christ, every moment of every day. Whatever you're called to do as a child of God, if you're a Christian here in this room, you walk under the powerful reality of Jesus resurrected. Your workplace, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a neighbor, as a scientist, as a doctor, whatever you do in the business world, in the art world, whatever you do, you live out the nature and character of God. Not in, I'm going to manufacture this, I'm going to be this today. But the power of God actually infuses you to give hope to people that don't have hope. Or it looks like things are grim. And you don't have the greatest answers or the greatest words, but you know what you can do is you can love them. As a Christian, as a lover of Jesus, and you can show them, gosh, I don't have an answer to death, I don't have an answer to suffering, other than the fact that God is good and wants to enter into your pain. Maybe that's where it's at for you. If we're not living in the reality of Easter every day, 
we're living in a futile faith. It can really accomplish nothing for us, much more than when a tornado would strike, we would go and get in our tent. Or when war would ensue, we'd grab our kid's water gun. It's nonsense, isn't it? It's crazy. Don't leave Jesus in the grave. Don't. Or we have no faith. We have nothing to celebrate if we leave Jesus in the grave. If we just celebrate the cross, thank you for the cross. Yes, thank you for the cross. But the reason why the cross has meaning is because Sunday's here. Amen? It's the only reason, the only reason that we, as the people of God, can see a holistic perspective and know that we have hope and not live in the vision, the tunnel vision that we have. Hebrews 6.19 puts it this way. The hope of Jesus is the anchor for our souls. You need an anchor this morning. You need an anchor Some of you, the the things that you're running to, the things that you're pursuing, and you're trying to anchor you, aren't anchoring you. But the writer of Hebrews says that hope, the hope of Christ, the resurrected Christ, is that anchor that we have. That's why we celebrate. That's why we're here. That's why I decided to put a suit on this morning even though I'm as hot as hot. (laughs) Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you that we sit here with so much hope. But God, enable us to realize that hope. The confident expectation to grab a hold of that hope this morning. For what a failure it would be for us to be here and not do that. So God, would you stir our affections for you? Would you do a Peter moment in our hearts this morning that you would lead us to marvel at the fact that you're no longer in the tomb, but you've conquered the grave and you've defeated sin and death, and that is available for us today to run into, to surrender our hearts to a hope-filled, eternal reality that can be lived in every single moment of every single day, but also promises the hope of heaven. God, you're good. You have your way, Christ's name. Amen.